0: You're listening to the Boss of Surgery Series, Episode 75. Today, I talk with Dr. Laura Fortner. She is an OBGYN and the MedMal coach. We talked about ways to decrease your risk of getting sued. She previously talked to us about litigation stress, so don't forget to check out that episode as well. Enjoy the show. Welcome, surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we need to learn to be a successful surgeon, While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you learn those lessons, not taught in residency. Welcome back. I have once again, Dr. Laura Fortner. And of course, her episode was so priceless. And, you know, she has gathered even more information since we last talked. And I told her she simply must come on again because she has so much new information to offer us. So I'm so glad that she's come back to the Boss Podcast. All right, Dr. Fortner, reintroduce yourself for those of the people that were not fortunate enough to see your first one.
1: Hi, everyone. Thank you so much, Amy, for having me back. I am an OBGYN and, and I am the med mal coach. So uh, about 10 years ago, I got sued. That old you know, medical malpractice stuff creeps in, right? We know this. Physicians, when we go through our training in residency, um, we hear that we're most likely going to get sued in our careers. But when it happens to us, it still really shakes us and rocks us to our core. And That's what happened to me about 10 years ago, even though I knew um, when you're in a surgical specialty, when you're an OBGYN or a surgeon, right, the the risk of us getting sued is very high. Um, It doesn't take away the emotional side of it. And I was um, deeply rocked to my core, felt a lot of fear, fear of the future, fear of reputation, fear of what was going to happen with my career and income, anxiety, shame, and self-doubt. And I spend in that for so many years because there was really no resources, except if we wanted to try traditional therapy. And, you know, so I did try that for a bit. It didn't seem to work for me. And so I spun for quite some time. And then I went to trial, my case went to trial. And after that, I recognized I really needed to find something. Um, and that's when I found a life coach. Now I know we all, before you even say, oh gosh, I felt the same way.
0: I know. Right. All all of us coaches have said that too, by the way, like, oh no, I didn't buy it until it actually worked. And then now I do.
1: Yeah. I mean, here's (laughs) the deal guys is like, I was at my last straw, right? Like when we get sued, we think we can just get over ourselves you know, but here's the problem. We can't, I mean, that's just the bottom line and we need a resource. And so what happened with me is I hired a life coach. It transformed me. I went through certification myself just to have the tools. I wasn't planning on doing a business, but then I woke up one day saying, I have to help physicians get peace of mind, regain their confidence back when they get sued. And that is why I do what I do now. And um, I'm so excited about um, the resource Um, that's getting created for physicians.
0: And, you know, we were just talking about this too, and this kind of goes in the theme the last uh, few podcasts about this whole idea of career transforming. And you and I, before we started recording, talked about how, you know, we go through these practices and we go along the linear path and we achieve all the things. And then at some point we identify something that we latch onto and say, this is a problem and this is a problem that I can fix. And then we run with that as part of, you know, a, a career progression. And for me, it's, you know, teaching these lessons not taught in residency, and I know for you, it was the litigation stress and, you know, really working towards this, um, unfortunately, almost seemingly inevitable consequence of practicing medicine that we're going to have and, you know, to identify a problem and then purpose-driven finding solutions for that is really, you know, kind of where both of our careers have gone take us through a little bit of this path avoiding litigation. I know we talked about litigation stress once you have it, but you know, stepping a couple steps back and saying let's talk about avoiding litigation. So take us through a little bit of what you've learned so far.
1: Yeah, so this is really important and I know um you know, there are people that haven't had litigation yet or maybe you did when you were in residency but you weren't the responsible one. Um and so There are, I like to use the avoid as an acronym to kind of um, help physicians remember sort of the five steps that you can take to really make an impact. And this is based on why patients sue us. So let's just talk a little bit about that for a moment. Why do patients sue us? What is the number one reason that they say? And the number one reason is honesty. They feel if you leave any details out, you're hiding anything, or, um, you know, that you're not fully transparent. If their perception is that, this is when they go seek counsel regarding the case. Um, So that is uh, number one. Number two is they also seek counsel if they feel as if their um, case was not appreciated, the, what they went through, what happened, that empathy I'm talking about, that compassion, right? If, you know, and of course, as surgeons listening to this podcast, you guys do so many surgeries, see so many patients, right? And we get used to (laughs) these type of things that happen to people. And this is um, something to be learned here, you guys, to think about, sitting in the patient's shoes. And we're going to talk more about that. But if their perception is you have not appreciated what they went through, this is an issue. And so really patients want to be heard. Um, That's the biggest thing. Um, That's number two. And then the number three reason why they sue is if they feel that we didn't learn any lesson from what happened to them. So let's say there was a complication in surgery if they don't feel that there was sort of a rounded ending to it, that like you acknowledge this happened. And even though it might not have been your fault, right? Like there are so many things out of our control, bad outcomes happen to really good docs. Um, But if they feel that you didn't learn any lesson from it, they also seek counsel. So those are the reasons, the main reasons they talk about. So let's get into them because I know most of you, And most of you can go through avoiding litigation sort of education, CME. There's a lot out there about this. But I think they they talk a lot about communication. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But I wanted to dive into those details because I think they're so important for us to know as physicians exactly what patients say. Um, So the AVOID acronym, A stands for attitude, okay? Now, Avoid reacting and instead learn to respond. And of course, it's easier said than done. We're super busy. Sometimes you're seeing patients back to back, only have 10, 15 minutes with them. And so we're talking a lot. And a lot of times we can be, our attitude can come off as we're rushed and in a hurry. Um, this is a big deal. So I want you to think about how can you walk in a patient's room, still be effective with your time, but yet show them that you understand them and your attitude is response instead of reactionary. Okay. And so what one, one of the things that I love to talk about is even just a small gesture. In the office setting can go a long way. So, if you're sitting with a patient, it doesn't have to take a ton of time, but just, you know, pausing and looking at them instead of your computer, right? Um, even a handshake when you walk in can be huge. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, you know, um, placing your hand in a restful way. Um, and just really looking at them and listening. These Mm -hmm. are things that are unsaid communication,
0: right? Right. Um, Gestures that go a long way. Right. And, you know, going back to this idea of that, they want to just feel appreciated, you know, they want to feel noticed and heard and appreciated. And these are very simple gestures that we can do, that a lot of people naturally do, but you really focusing on not forgetting those things. And I know that it can be a little bit challenging sometimes when we have we're worried about an outcome or we're worried about something, you know, there's a tendency to want to withdraw and that we don't do those things. And so being very conscious to make sure that we're connecting with the patient is is very valuable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I want you to think about the gestures that you feel comfortable doing. That's you too. You want to be your authentic and transparent self. You don't want to be somebody else. Don't do something that you wouldn't normally do because that would come off fake, honestly. So, um, you know, for me, it's very natural for me if I'm seeing a patient to actually sometimes place a hand on their shoulder, right? Or, um, you know, um, talk to them in a personal way, And I'm, they're like the only person in the room to me. And so I just, just these gestures that go unsaid go a long way. Okay. The second thing is value the patient's perspective. And what I mean by this is I want you to sit in their shoes. So if you have a patient coming into the office, there was a complication in surgery, or maybe the surgery wasn't the outcome they wanted, even though, you know, it went successfully. I want you to sit in their shoes before you walk in. And really understand how would they be thinking and feeling right now? Maybe they're disappointed that it didn't go the way they thought, right? Mm -hmm. Walking in and thinking about this beforehand, again, doesn't take a ton of time, guys. And it doesn't mean that your appointment has to last any longer, but they can feel what you're thinking and feeling. Mm -hmm. And this is powerful. Have compassion for their perspective and sit in their
0: shoes. Right, and take me through a little bit on these uh, apology laws because I know sometimes if we have something that doesn't go well, um, I know that in the past we've been afraid to say I'm sorry because it's almost like admitting something. Um, but I think that there has been some thought on this too, because you know, really what that does is it creates fear in the interaction between us and the patient. So we don't speak up and we don't give them validation or let them know we've learned this lesson or honesty. And so, like the ability to apologize, you know, incorporates all those things that you mentioned to avoid litigation. Yeah. So what have you learned? This is such a h-
1: wonderful question and most physicians do not know about apology laws in their state. So let's talk about it a little bit. Apology laws, depending on where you live, you're going to want to look this up. There are only a few states left that do not have any a law of any sort. And what the laws are are basically, um, should you fully apologize or should you partially apologize? So now let me back up for one second, Amy. I meant to say that in our training in residency and beyond, we actually are taught not to be transparent. It is The thought used to be in the culture of medicine that if we were too transparent and if we admitted that there was a wrongdoing, that they would sue us and -hmm. litigation and medical malpractice rates would go up. This is not becoming the case. There are now hospitals actually starting what's called disclosure programs, and they are doing sort of mediation with the patients and doing disclosure of errors and and apologizing at these events. And what they're finding at these hospital-based sort of studies is that their medical malpractice rates are going down. So. Now, more studies need to be done, and time will tell, but in the meantime, what you can do is, depending on the state that you live, you can look up your apology law. There's two different types of laws, partial and full apologies, and if you live in a state with a full apology law, that means that you could say to the patient that you're sorry, sorry, show empathy to them, and even say, that you made a mistake and they cannot use that against you if they sued you in court. Wow. Yeah. That's a full, that's if you live in a state with a full apology law Mm -hmm. and what I know, especially if we go back to the three reasons why patients sue this, this is what I'm saying. People want to feel heard. They want that apology. And so this is a big deal. And I think it's okay. If you live in a, again, you can do it if you live in a state with a full apology law, okay? Now, most states have partial apology laws. So again, you're going to want to look up your state. Um, all, um, most everybody has a partial apology law. And what that says is you can empathize with the patient. You can show compassion. You could say, I'm so sorry this happened to you. But you do not want to admit that you did anything wrong or that you caused the error, because when you do that, they can use that portion against you in the courtroom. They cannot use it against you. If you apologized and you were empathetic and you've said, I'm so sorry, this happened to you. Yes. Complications happen. So with surgery, you guys, here's the thing about surgery. I, I work with, um, um, actually a lot of surgeons. I have a cardiothoracic surgeon and um, several different types of surgeons, GYN surgeons, and we work with complications of surgery, right? And so, and I know Amy does an incredible job with this as well. And, you know, what I want you to know is when you have a complication it doesn't mean you're at fault with it, right? Like complications are normal. Like we have statistics. This is why we have studies, right? It says, um, you know, in terms of laparoscopic, what is it? A, uh, I don't know, 1% or 0.1% um, to have an occult bowel injury, right? If you go in blindly or something. And and um, so it's okay. If you're in a partial apology loss state, it's totally okay to say, I'm so sorry, this happened to you. This complication can happen, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is the rate that it happens.
0: Right. And it's funny because we will tell our patients that we do not listen to our own consent process. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so true. We don't believe our own consent, like then we think, right? Because here's what happens with, this is the human brain stuff. And we could talk about that later, but this is what happens because we start to believe, well, You know, um, maybe that's not true. Maybe we did do something wrong. And that you guys, if you're going to operate on multiple patients, you're going to have complications is just the way medicine is. There's no way of getting around it. And you will have bad outcomes because you're seeing so many patients and doing so many surgeries. It's just the way it is. So check the apology law for your state.
0: Perfect. You mentioned a little bit about this um, process that you do to improve you know, going about the day, because, you know, once we recognize it is possible to have complications, and, you know, and then it's possible to get sued. In fact, you know, there's a high percentage of that. Uh, Take us through what happens and how you work with someone, because I know that, that you do a lot of work individually with people to let them continue to practice medicine, because the first thing I, you mentioned that they said the first person or first thing someone says to you when they see you is like, I just want to quit. And so what, how do you get someone who has this really traumatic event? How do you get them back into the operating room?
1: Yeah, such, a, that's great. Um, so when you think about, um, what happens with us with, with, uh, surgery and complications, um, most physicians that come to me, um, that just, you know, had a complication. It, whether you had an adverse event or you're getting sued, it doesn't really matter. The same pathway gets created in your brain. So, when we have an unexpected outcome in medicine, this is when it arises. Because here's the deal, seemingly small things in medicine that are normal, that we think are normal, actually register in our human brain as abnormal. Mm -hmm. right? Think about it like this, you know, if your patient codes and you start giving CPR, that is abnormal to the brain. If you have a complication from surgery, if a patient comes back five days later um, with an unexpected outcome now admitted to the ICU, right? All of these things, unexpected outcomes that should be normal in medicine, right? But our brain registers that this is not normal and it labels our job then, or this surgery then, this complication then unsafe. And so what happens when people come to me is, you know, the first thing they'll say is maybe I should stop doing the surgery or maybe I should stop doing OB if they're an OBGYN, right? Or maybe I should just quit medicine altogether. This is what happens. This is a normal thinking process. So I first want to validate if you're listening to this episode that it's normal if you're thinking this way that you want to quit or that you should do something else or, um, you know, you just want to quit this one surgery over here because of what this happened. Um, It's so funny because if you look at your track record, by the way, and list all the times that you did this case, this type of case for years and years and years and how many you've done, it's unrealistic to say this one event now is going to change your practice, right? But when these events happen, it creates a PTSD like response in our brain (laughs) and this PTSD like response activates the amygdala, which is our fight flight, freeze response. it's it's sort of the physical and emotional symptoms we get um, as physicians when these things happen, right? palpitations, gut punch, nausea, you know, uh, physical, but then emotional, right? All the feelings of shame, fear, anxiety, a lot and a lot of anxiety comes up with this stuff and then a pathway gets created to where what's called an implicit memory. And this so so basically when we have an outcome that's not expected or bad or get sued, for me it was getting sued and I can tell you my story if you'd like but it was getting sued for me the PTSD like response kicked in and an implicit memory got created. This implicit memory then is in your brain and anything that's similar to this event will activate this implicit memory for you to go down this whole pathway of thinking about this case ruminating about the case um ha- having fear anxiety um that whole pathway gets continues and continues and continues so for me let me kind of give you an example what i'm talking about i got served right after the holidays one year i walked to my door with my three little kids and the sheriff comes hands me paper says i'm served mm-hmm. I sat my kids in front of the TV, went into my bedroom and sobbed, just Mm -hmm. crushed me. Right. And um, then from that day, everything changed because a PTSD-like pathway got created in my brain and a memory of this got created. So now all the things that remind me of this case make me go back to all the physical and emotional symptoms. Okay. So an email from my lawyer, a confidential letter on my desk. Um, any patient that was similar to this patient suing me, any delivery that was like this patient, um, it would all come back and the behaviors that we, so, so this implicit memory, it sort of instigates all the physical and emotional symptoms. So we start feeling bad. We go down the path of catastrophic thinking. Um, then we do these behaviors (laughs) that don't serve us like ruminating about the case, um, not sleeping. Uh, we overwork. Many of us, lots of times just start working harder, be trying to prove ourselves. Um, some of us over drink. I need that glass of wine at the end of the day now that I didn't need before. Some of us start overeating. We decide we need to eat so that we don't feel this, right? We start doing all these behaviors because of this implicit memory in this loop that any type of trigger stimulates it to keep coming back. So the work that I do is to stop that loop and that's called memory reconsolidation. Memories are malleable. It's, it's neuroscience. The science has been researched for the past 12 years. It's incredible stuff that can transform you. And for me, it took me seven years, you guys, to find this type of work, to heal myself. And now, which I like to bring this up, Amy, because I think this is really powerful for people is the hospital privilege application? So, a lot of us fear putting this litigation in this, you know, getting sued on these applications and what we're gonna to have to go through to get hospital privileges. And then we think we're not gonna get them and those kind of things. And when you do this work, this is what happens. You have no problem when someone calls you from the credentialing committee, committee to discuss your lawsuit. You have no problem to do it. You have no fear. You have no shame. You're able to do it calmly, collectively, with peace of mind. And it's astounding what the brain can do when you intentionally
0: um uh, really help yourself. So these yeah. are optional. Like the attachment to these memories is actually optional. Who knew? It
1: is. it is optional, it's malleable, it's it's insane. And we should learn, I'm like, we should learn this in med school and residency. This neuroscience that we need to equip ourselves because our brain labels our job unsafe now when this pathway gets created. And that's why you want to quit. I mean, that's why we don't, we think we should do something else. It's unsafe
0: for us to do these things, you know? Mm -hmm. Amazing. Uh, So now I know that you work one-on-one with people and I know you have a group. So take us through how you work with people and where can they find you? Yeah, so
1: you can go to the themenmailcoach.com, and what I'm doing now, which which I'm so excited about, is I am um, launching a platform that's safe, confidential, non-discoverable, and you can go in, um, be anonymous if you'd like, learn all the things that I teach. In this platform and it's called the healthcare hero healing circle. And right now you can go to my website and get on the wait list and that will, um, connect you so that you could be the first to know. And one of the founders of the group, I'm super excited about it. I think it's going to be, it's going to transform, um, uh, how you can transform yourself.
0: And I just, I'm so excited about it. I think it's great. I mean, a lot of people don't even realize that it's possible to be sued. I was actually surprised because I've seen the numbers, you know, the, the statistics are very high. And, and, but when someone has it for the first time, a lot of times they don't think it's a lot of people. They think it's just them. And, you know, there aren't a lot of resources or at least overtly to, to find these things. And then they tell you that you can't talk about it, which then exacerbates the isolation. So then you don't actually seek information. So it's helpful that we now can start developing these pathways in your work, that we can create these safe places to where we can work through all these so we can keep this sustainable. And I know that this is a huge passion project for you to keep surgeons in the operating room and make this sustainable. And it's it's so important and it's more important than it ever has been uh, with all the challenges that. We're we're dealing with. So I'm so glad that you had that platform and obviously happy to support you and all of that. And so definitely go to the menmalcoach.com and sign up for that wait list. And Dr. Fortner, I look forward to another visit maybe in the future.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. I'm really honored to be here. Thanks.
0: For more information on the Boss Business of Surgery series, go to bosssurgery.com. For more information about the Boss Business of Surgery series, go to bosssurgery.com.